Hi friends, it's Pastor Drew Wilkerson from Bridgewater Church. Hey, thanks for stopping by this podcast. It's our prayer that as you listen, God will speak to your heart and you will feel inspired and you'll learn new things that will help you in your daily walk with God and just in life in general. So again, thanks for stopping by and thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Pastor Rod. I'm the prayer ministry pastor here at Bridgewater Church, and I'm so glad you're joining me today. Hey, I've really enjoyed Pastor Drew's series on forgiveness. It's just been awesome, and it's just been, uh, it's just been so interesting. And I want to kind of do it today as a postscript to his series. I want to talk to you about grace. I think it's important to understand what grace is, because out of God's grace, His forgiveness to us, flows our forgiveness to others. And so that's what I want to share with you today. So, I want to talk to you about God's love for us. I want to talk to you about how God has always been for us. I want to share with you uh, God's heart, if you will, this morning as well. And so, when you think about the beginning uh, at creation, God spoke everything into creation. He spoke it, you know, let there be light, you know, let there be trees and animals. But when it came to mankind, he didn't speak them into creation. He said, let us make man, or humankind, in our image. And I think that's, uh, I think that's incredible. In the Hebrew, the language is such that it's a potter working with clay. And so he formed Adam from the dust of the earth, and then likewise he he took a rib from Adam's side and created Eve. Why? Because he wants to have personal interaction, personal relationship with us. We have that distinction above all the rest of the creation. It's no, no other part of creation uh, has that kind of interaction with the creator. God wants relationship with us. And you'll notice in the account it says that let us make man in our image. It's plural. It's a plural tense. Well, who's, who's the R? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. See, in the Gospel of John, verse 1, 1 through 3, chapter 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that was been made. Wow, so Jesus has always been part of the plan. It's not proper English, but I'm going to say it anyway. Jesus has never not been, okay? He's always been. He's part of God. He is God, right? And so when we read this account, Jesus was always there. Now, if this is the case, right, we know from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Why am I sharing that with you? Well, if Jesus was there at the beginning, then grace was always the plan. Grace is not just a New Testament thought or a New Testament concept. It's always been the plan. God's grace and mercy is, the, is his heart, his love for us. You know, if you were to ask me about summing up the scriptures in a single sentence, I could do it. I really can. It's, it's very simple. The scriptures, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus Christ 
in his redemptive plan for man. This has always been the case. God's heart has always been one of uh, mercy and, and grace and love and forgiveness. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew base word for uh, grace is hen. And then there's a, a, a derivative of it, uh, hanan, which means uh, merciful, favored of God. And then you may recall the story about Hannah in uh, 1 Samuel. Hannah was the wife of Eli. She didn't have any children, and she was brokenhearted because in their culture, it, it was a disgrace not to, have, to be able to bear children. It was, you were considered cursed of God. And her name means, it's a derivative of grace, right? And it means uh, favored of God and, and uh, to be restored. Uh, it's that tense. And God indeed restored Hannah by giving her a child, a prophet, a great prophet in the nation of Israel. You know, over the years, I've had uh, people question me, well, how can God be a loving God? How, how is God loving? When I read in the Old Testament about the, the, the judgment and, the, and the, uh, you know, the things that happen, God's judgment is, seems harsh. Well, yeah, honestly, we do have a righteous God. He is just, and judgment does come eventually. Just like in the Old Testament, judgment's going to come eventually in this day and age as well. And then the New Dispensation, or the New Testament church, will see judgment someday. But his judgment is always preceded by grace and mercy and an opportunity to, to change, to repent. So I wanted to just share some samples of the Old Testament kind of setting the stage so you can kind of see for yourself that God's heart is always about grace and mercy. Certainly we'd start in the, in the garden where Adam and Eve sinned against God. God told them not to eat of uh, the tree of good and uh, knowledge of good and evil. Now that's a whole other story. I'm not, uh, another study. I'm not going to get into that today. But they did. They did so. They desired to be like God and because of that sin had entered the world. And then certainly they were, were uh, you know, under the curse of sin now. But instead of God taking their lives, he took the lives of animals and covered them with animal skins. See, they tried to cover themselves with leaves uh, off the trees and weren't able to cover their, their, their shame, if you will. But God slew a couple animals and gave uh, them the skins to wear as clothing to cover their sin, to cover their nakedness. And so... You know, right at the get-go, God could have taken their lives then, but showed them mercy. Cain killed his brother Abel, and he was banished. And yet, he was fearful that he would be killed by someone else, and God said, not so, I will put a mark on you to protect you. And let's talk about Noah for a moment, okay? You know, you, you talk about the flood where God wipes out the entire earth, and it seems kind of harsh, but think about it. The God of all creation who created the, the whole, uh, everything, the universe, everything in, in six days, and rested on the seventh day, he could have easily said, ark, and there'd been an ark. But instead, he had Noah build an ark, which took him over a hundred years to do. Why? Noah was a testimony, a witness to the world around him that judgment's coming, and there was a way to be saved, a way to be delivered from it by boarding the ark. He gave all the world around Noah opportunity. Oh, for over 100 years, he gave them opportunity to, to make a change. And let's talk about Abraham. Abraham was just a man from uh, Ur of Chaldeans. He was nobody of any consequence, but God chose him to make a great nation out of him. 
And he and his nephew Lot wandered into the, or led into the, the land of Canaan by God and lived there for, for decades, for more than 100 years, as a testimony to that land. And Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, a very wicked uh, community of towns where pretty evil things were going on. And God had decided that he would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the, how wicked they had become. And yet, before he did that, he allowed Lot and his wife to live there as testimony to uh, a, a righteous God. And then Abraham, he pleaded for this city of Sodom, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, well, you know, Lord, if there's 50, 40, 30, even 10 people there that are righteous, would you spare the city? And God said, yeah, I'll spare the city if there was 10. But there wasn't 10. There was only Noah, or, uh, Lot and his wife and two daughters. And so God spared them, but judgment did come to the city. And what about the land of Cana? We, we, a lot of people tell me, well, you know, Joshua was told to go into the land of Cana and to, to destroy those nations. And that seems pretty harsh, but think about this. These people worshipped pagan gods with uh, temple prostitution and with child sacrifice. They would take children and burn them alive. Uh, on these br uh, bronze idols to these different Canaanite gods. A horrific thing, evil thing, things that they were doing. And yet, God did not bring judgment for 470 years while Israel was in Egypt. In fact, Abraham, uh, Isaac, and uh, Jacob wandered the land of Canaan for over 100, maybe 200 years, even before the Israelites went into captivity or into uh, Egypt. And, uh, and they were there 470 years. So for five or 600 years, the land of Cana had time to repent. But judgment came. Jonah went to the, the land of uh, Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, where the Syrian's capital city was. And he preached, and they became saved. Now, these are people who were horrific. They left their uh, piles, the skulls of their enemies at the city gates that they were conquered as a calling card. This is the kind of people... They were, and yet God chose to show them mercy by sending a prophet to preach to them, and the whole city was saved. Uh, Daniel uh, was taken away into captivity, right? When uh, the Israelites, well, let's just talk about the Israelites. The Israelites served God, didn't serve God, served God, didn't serve God. For about 700 years from the time of the judges to the, to the kings, they were in and out with God. And God told them, you know, at some point in time, I'm going to bring judgment. And at the end of the 700 years, God carries them off into, into captivity. And so while they're in captivity, Daniel, though he's in captivity, advances to be the next, the second most powerful man in all of uh, Babylon. Uh, he was betrayed by some of the, the court people uh, in, in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's uh, uh, kingdom and was thrown into a lion's den, but God spared his life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, refused to bow down to pagan gods and were thrown into fiery furnace, but God rescued them. God's mercy, God's grace, constantly. God made uh, the king of Persia uh, friendly, uh, favorable to Nehemiah, so Nehemiah could return to Israel when the Israelites started returning to Judea, Judea uh, so that he could go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He made the, the king uh, uh, friendly towards Ezra, so Ezra could go back and build the temple, rebuild the temple. See, God's grace, constantly, it's throughout the Old Testament. It's not just a, a, a New Testament concept. 
His grace is the same today. So that brings me to, to the passage I really want to focus on today. It's from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, My dear children, I write you these things so that you do not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Let me tell you, that's an awesome thing to have an advocate. An advocate is someone who de defends us, speaks in our defense. Have you ever had an advocate in your life? Boy, I have. I can remember the summer before my senior year in high school, I worked all summer long to earn some money to buy a car. And uh, I didn't have a lot of money, but I saved up about $500. Now, back in my day, that <laughs> it wasn't a lot of money then either, but it was a lot more than what it is today. And I was able to find a car that I really liked. And I took my dad with me to go look at this car. It was a 1975 Ford Mustang. Now, it sounds really great, but it was a piece of junk. And my dad really tried to talk me out of buying it. And I couldn't see all the rust holes in the body and the, and the big scars on the windshield, which only run to wash the, uh, the windshield wipers without blades in it. I couldn't see all the bald tires and all the things and the oil dripping from the car. I just saw this car that was going to be... Uh, you know, I was going to fix it up, and it was going to be a big hot rod, right? Well, I tell you, its hot rod days were far behind it. But I insisted I wanted that car. My dad's okay. I don't think it's a good idea, but fine. And it leaked oil like a sieve. And my dad told me, now, you have to keep an eye on that because it's, you know, it's leaking oil. You're going to have to really, you know, make sure you keep oil in it. Now, I had my mind set on a lot of things in those days, but making sure that car had oil was not one of them. I had uh, a lot of other things <laughs> in my mind. And I got to a point where I kind of forgot about putting oil in that car. And this car started making a noise. Now, it made noise all the time. It made all sorts of noises. Uh, but now it's making a new noise that I hadn't heard before. And so I said, Dad, this, my car is making a, a noise. I don't know what it is. And he came out. And he, um, he came out and listened to it. My dad had worked in cars uh, and uh, was mechanic in the army, so he knew all about them. And he came out, and as soon as he heard it, he said, you got a rod knocking. Have you checked oil? And I guess got this deer in the headlights look on my face. And so he pulled the dipstick out of the engine. There wasn't even a drop of oil on the dipstick. Well, that did not go well for me. And he started to, uh, he just commenced to give me a tongue lashing. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but he was just giving me what for. And I deserved it, frankly. Now, my dad can be, could, could be a kind of a harsh man. He was stern. And he was really giving me uh, a, a what for talking to. And uh, I was enduring it a lot. But my brother, my older brother, Jesse, came out. And he stood by me and said, Dad, he doesn't understand. He's not been working on cars. You know, you're, you're yelling at him. He doesn't even know what you're talking about. He, he, he stood up for me. Kind of made me look bad, but he <laughs> stood up for me. He said, Dad, he doesn't understand. And he was my advocate. It's good to have somebody in your corner, somebody that's your advocate. And so this passage in 1 John talks about Jesus being our advocate. And the Greek here, this, this, the Greek term here really is like uh, a courtroom vibe. It's really like an attorney or a lawyer uh, making a defense for you. And so I wanted to kind of experiment with that. I'm going to explore that a little bit, what that might be like if we, uh, we had a court case. So I brought my judge's robe with me today. And so I'm just going to put on my judge's robe. 
and we're just going to have a little court case here. Let's see what it might be like to have an advocate who will defend us. So I'll put my judge's robe on here, and I will get my gavel, my case out here. Order, order in the court. Kingdom court is now in session. The honorable, holy, and righteous Son of the Most High God presiding, Jesus Christ. Mr. Prosecutor, what's the case we have on the docket today? And the prosecutor is none other than Satan himself. Satan's name means accuser, if you didn't know. When you translate it into English, it means accuser. And so he brings forth the file, case file today. Lord, uh, Your Honor, this, today's case is the kingdom versus Rod Rowe. Okay, what's the charges? Well, Your Honor, Mr. Rowe is in violation of 10 of the Kingdom Code uh, ordinances. Well, go ahead and read them all for me, please. And so, this Satan starts in. Well, Your Honor, the first, uh, the first uh, code he's broken is that you shall not have any other gods before me. The defendant has allowed things and people to take the place of him, the place of you. And uh, he has honored them and thought more of them. They were more important to him than holding you most high. And as Satan's making these charges, you break out into a sweat. Your knees start knocking. Your mouth goes dry. And suddenly you start seeing roll before you videos and audio bites of all the things you've done, all the uh, misdeeds of your life. You think about all the things that you wish people didn't know are now laid bare before all to, all to see. Every misspoken word, every misdeed, every shameful thought is laid bare before everybody. The second charge, Your Honor, is that you should not make idols. Now, the defendant has allowed things and people to become idols in his life, more important than you. The third offense, you should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And certainly this defendant has taken your name in vain, used it uh, in very coarse language. And on top of that, he's taken the name, or says he's taken the name of Christian, but acts and conducts his life contrary to the name of, of Christ. So certainly he's taken the name of Christ in vain. You should remember the Sabbath and keep it holy is the fourth charge. He has uh, many times slept through the Sabbath from uh, you know, resting from the previous night's misdeeds or by continu continuing the same the next day on the Sabbath. The fifth charge is to uh, honor your mother and father. He's dishonored his mother and father, even as an adult, disdaining their advice and disrespecting them. You shall not murder. Although the defendant may not have actually committed, committed physical murder, it is well known within the kingdom statutes that if you just speak evil against somebody, it's the same as murder. Uh, you're killing them with your words. So he's certainly guilty of that. You should not commit adultery. Likewise, having lusted in his heart, it's the same as committing the adultery, therefore he is guilty. You shall not steal. The defendant has taken what is not his, saying that he borrowed it, though he didn't have permission. And, you know, he's gone to his employer's place of work and not given a good day's work, therefore stealing from his employer. 
and various other opportunities. He has stolen many times. The ninth charge is you shall not bear false witness. Defendant has lied, outright lied, numerous times, and on occasions misrepresented and distorted the truth, which is the same as lying. And the tenth violation, you should not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Well, the defendant has coveted his neighbor's possessions countless times, and sometimes out openly. And as all these charges are read, you just, just feel this sense of desperation, this sense of doom. You can't dispute any of it. It's all true. You know that it's true. You can hardly stand. You feel like your legs may give underneath you. The room is spinning. Your head is so dizzy. You know what's coming. You're certain of what's coming. So the judge looks at you and say, says, Mr. Rowe, what do you say to all these charges? What can you say? It's been proven by the video, by the sound bites. All of heaven knows it's true. You have nothing to say but admit that you're, you've, you're guilty. Your Honor, I, I, have no, I have nothing to offer you but confession. I'm, I'm guilty of all those things. My accuser, he enjoys making these charges against me. But in, the, in this case, he's, he's correct. All these things are true. I have nothing to, to say, but I, I, I'm sorry, and I recognize that I've sinned. And all I can do is ask for your forgiveness and plead for mercy. I'm unworthy, but I, I, all I can say is I'm sorry and please forgive me. The Lord nods his head. Is that all that you have to offer, prosecuting attorney? And Satan smiles glibly. Yes, that's it. I don't have any further evidence to submit. This court finds the defendant guilty as charged. Sentencing is, and penalty is, death. And Satan breaks into a grin ear to ear. He's so ecstatic. You see, he loves bringing people to trial. He loves to bring uh, accusations because he knows by destroying us, it hurts the Father. Because, as I told you, God the Father and the Son want relationship with us. So, the judge says this. But since the defendant has acknowledged his guilt, and since the defendant has asked for mercy, I have decided that I will show him mercy and I will take his place. And there's this wild, loud, wild murmur throughout the courtroom. And Satan screams, Objection! You can't do that! And Jesus says, The Father has given me the authority and the keys to the kingdom. Overruled. Praise God, overruled. Satan pitches a fit and is found in contempt of court and forcibly removed from the courtroom. And so Jesus takes off his robe of deity. And becomes humble man. And he goes to a Roman cross where he's crucified and dies. His blood is shed. But it doesn't end there. 
Three days later, he rises from the grave, victorious over death and sin. And so now, so now the holy, glorious judge return, returns to courtroom, now that the penalty has been paid, and he does something remarkable, some, something extraordinary, as he puts back on his robes of deity. He takes your case file, all the video, all the audio bites, all the documentation, shreds it, burns it, takes the ashes and throws them into the sea of forgetfulness so that now your case file is empty. Beloved, Jesus did two things for us on the cross of Calvary. First, he did something we call propitiation. Propitiation of sin. This is where God's wrath is appeased by Jesus' death. All his wrath, God the Father's wrath against sin, because he's a righteous God, has to be true to himself. All his wrath is placed on his Son, who became our sin for us. When Jesus went on the cross, they put a crown of thorns representing the, the curse of sin, our sin, on his head. He took it. And so all God's wrath was put on him and so was appeased through his death. Restitution was made. The debt was made, paid in full. And the second thing Jesus accomplished on the cross is the expiation of sin. This is where the guilt is removed. It's erased. It was made like it never happened. That's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. When I was 19 and 20 years old, my brother Jesse had this car, this 1975 Chevy Monte Carlo. Now, I'm telling you, that car was fine. It was sharp. It had mag wheels. It had bucket seats in a day and age where most cars didn't have bucket seats. They had bench seats in front. It had electric windows and electric locks. Now, every car has <laughs> electric windows and locks, but back in those days, that was a special order. This thing was a two-door uh, piece of wonder. It was gorgeous. He even had a Corvette steering wheel. How that happened, I don't know. This thing was sweet. It was smoking hot. It was one of the coolest cars around. My brother loved that car. And uh, my brother would let me borrow it sometimes to go on dates and things. And it was really awesome. He loved that car. I loved it, too. It made him the coolest brother in the whole, whole world. One time, my brother ended up, uh, he was a Christian. I wasn't. He was part of the men's fellowship. He was four years older than me. And he, he was driving the church van to this uh, Christian retreat, men's fellowship retreat. And while he was gone, he left me the keys to his car. He said I could use it while he was gone. Man, I was in seventh heaven. I was one cool kid cruising around in his car. So one day, I decided to go to Taco Bell and get some lunch, and I went through the drive-thru and got my lunch and had my wallet out and paid for the, the food, and as I was pulling out, I dropped my wallet on the floor, and just without thinking, I leaned over to pick it up out of the floor, and as I did, I accidentally turned the steering wheel, and I moved the car into the guardrail, and it smashed the side of his car from the front bumper all the way down the side to the back bumper. Oh, 
it was the most horrific noise I'd ever heard in my life up until that time. I was devastated. I pulled over. I could see, oh, it was horrible. I got home. My dad was home. He saw it. He started giving me another tongue lashing. See, the sad news was I had liability insurance, but no full coverage, so my insurance wouldn't pay for the damage. My brother had bought the car outright. He didn't have to have full coverage. He paid cash for it. And because of that, he only kept liability. So there was no insurance to pay to fix the car. My brother was coming home the next day. I was terrified. I thought he was going to kill me. He loved that car. Loved that car. And so he came home, and I met him at the sidewalk in front of our house. Tears rolling down my face. I was just brokenhearted to have to tell him that I had wrecked his car, the car that he loved so much. And told him I'm sorry. So Jesse, I'm sorry. And he sighed at me, and he put his right arm around me. He said, it's okay. I was never, ever able to make that right. He never had the money to fix the car. He bought other cars, but there was none that was ever as cool as that. But he never, ever, ever, after that day, mentioned it ever again. Never brought it up again. He taught me something about Christ's love that day, his forgiveness. Now, my brother's been gone for about 10 years now. Lost him to cancer, and I miss him. But he taught me what the powerful love of Jesus Christ forgiveness look like. So I'm going to share this scripture with you. Verse 2 of the passage. 1 John 2, verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And not only our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Not just our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And so if he has forgiven us our sins and we've been made in his image to be a reflection of him, how much more should we forgive those who have done things wrong to us because of the forgiveness we experience from him? Let me leave you some scriptures to encourage you today. Psalm 103, 10 through 12 says this, He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve nor pay us back full for our wrongs. As high as the heavens is over the earth, so strong is his love to those who fear him. And as far as the sun rises from sunset, he has separated us from our sins. And then from Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 10. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord, my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation, and drape me in a robe of righteousness. Friends, what God has done for us is just so tremendous. We take it for granted so much, and he has forgiven us so much, and has made us whole so that he can have a relationship with us. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a historian, and I like uh, studying about World War II and some of the things that went on. And during the end days of World War II, when the Allies were moving into Germany and freeing people from the concentration camps, they noticed something very peculiar. 
that some of the prisoners were afraid to leave the barracks, afraid to leave their cells. You see, they had been brutalized by the enemy so long that they didn't even realize that they were free. Friends, there's many of you who are caught up in the sins of your past. You, you've been brutalized by an enemy so long and feel so overwhelmed by the sins of your past that you feel like you're still in a cell. But your cell door is open, and you're free to go. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Your cell door is open. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Your sins are paid in full. You're free to go. If you're a child of God, your sins are behind you. Now, some of you, some of you may be sitting in a jail cell with a door that's locked. And that may be because you haven't met the advocate that you have with the Father, Jesus Christ. If you've not, I encourage you today to take the time to get to know him. His desire is to set you free. His desire is to have relationship with you. His desire is to have community with you. He loves you. And all you have to do is ask him for mercy. And he'll gladly give it to you. Because he loves you. And then finally, I would say that some of you are sitting in a locked jail cell, not because you haven't been forgiven, uh, asked for forgiveness, but you refuse to forgive others. And that's keeping you locked into a prison cell that you can be free of if you just show the mercy and grace to others as God has shown to you. I would like to pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you for our friends who are watching online. And Lord, I hope today that they have learned that you have a heart of mercy, that you have a heart of grace, you have a heart of love, that you long to have relationship with us, and you offer it freely if we'll just accept it. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that if someone that's watching this broadcast has a need, Lord Jesus, a need to be set free from sin, God, that they'll seek you out and be, uh, just ask for you to take that sin from them and be, and be delivered from it. And if someone's struggling, Lord Jesus, with uh, the knowledge that they have unforgiveness in their heart, Lord, to someone else. God, give them the ability to, to be free of that as well, to seek out and the, the other and give forgiveness and receive forgiveness because this is the desire of your heart, Lord, that we be a reflection of you, God, just as you have come and, and asked, uh, we come and given us forgiveness, God. We know that you uh, want us to go and give forgiveness, Lord Jesus, to those around us. Father, we ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. Amen. Friends, I'm so glad you tuned in this week. So glad you spent this time with me. If you uh, are looking for a church home to come and visit in person, we'd love to have you at the Bridgewater Church. If you just want to have a place to hang out online, we're super happy that you're uh, uh, part of our online family as well. Lord bless you and have a good week. Hey friends, thanks for listening. And if you want to be a part of our e-family, then all you have to do to join us is click the link below and you can check us out on our YouTube page. You can also join us on social media. And if you'd like to support the ministry, then just click the link to give. We're so grateful for all of our partners and together we can do more than we can alone. So again, thanks to all of you for listening to this podcast and also thank you for helping us reach people around the world through Jesus Christ.